Hello and welcome to the Van Podcast, a podcast series from Visual Artists Ireland. My name is Joanne Laws and I am editor of the Visual Artists News Sheet. Published every two months, the Van Podcast features online conversations recorded remotely with various contributors to each issue of the Van. This gives opportunities to discuss ideas arising from published texts while also offering insights into wider practice. Episode 6 features an interview with Aideen Barry, focusing on her current large-scale commission for Kaunas European City of Culture 2022 and her forthcoming solo exhibition at Limerick City Gallery of Art. Aideen Barry is an Irish visual artist who has worked and exhibited extensively across Ireland and internationally. She was elected as a member of Estona in 2019 and the Royal Hibernian Academy in 2020. Aideen is represented by Galleria Isabel Hurley in Spain and is affiliated with the Catherine Clark Gallery in San Francisco and Mother's Tank Station in Dublin. An edited version of this interview will be published in the November-December 2021 issue of the Visual Artist News Sheet. Hello Aideen, thanks so much for making the time to speak to me today about your large-scale commission for Kaunas European City of Culture 2022. Uh, Kaunas is the second largest city in Lithuania and their City of Culture programme is subtitled Modernism for the Future, with an emphasis on the conservation, interpretation, promotion and activation of modernism heritage. So you're currently working on an ambitious, socially engaged video project called Clostus, meaning cleats or folds, which will be a soundless black and white film taking inspiration from modernist architecture around the city. Um, maybe you could start by discussing this mammoth community collaboration. Thank you, Joanne. Thanks for having me. Um, okay, so uh, Colostus came about because I was giving a paper on my work in Pesh in Hungary, and it was about this kind of social engaged um, public art project called Changing Tracks that happened in 2014. Mm-hmm. And I was invited by heads of European Capital Cultures to give a paper on my work, which I did. And when I was there, I met two of the lead curators for uh, Kronos 2022. And they said, have you ever been to Lithuania? And I said, no. And then two weeks after, uh, after I had met them and we had got on very well at the conference, they invited me to come and give the same paper at their conference called Modernism for the Future. And I, I wouldn't ordinarily think that my work is in any way like modernist or influenced by modernism, but it is influenced by interpretations and dealing with kind of heritage issues or forgotten or lost histories. So I kind of framed the, the, the discussion on my work in those kind of contexts to that conference. From that, I was invited to come back and give a workshop in social engaged practices and how I work or engage with communities in the co-curation or the co-creation of a work Um, and I did that in 2019 and from there they invited me to make a film and they gave me carte blanche in a lot of ways in that the film had to um, uh, be a kind of uh, influenced by their what they call interwar modernism which is what this city of Conus is built in this time frame or this time period, but has fallen out of amnesia with its populace, with its citizens. And I'll give the historical context of that in a second. But they said, you can take this 
and make an art film on it in the style that you've done in the past and maybe working with or engaging with maybe one or two groups of our citizens. So I, I thought this was a massive responsibility of telling the story of interwar modernism of a city that I didn't know. And I felt that the only way to really do this was to give, give over the creative content control to the citizens. So we gave out a series of open calls, first of all, to writers. And I identified, I think about 22, 23 uh, historical um, buildings. Uh, and these writers were led by uh, a leading author into creating narratives of stories informed by the histories of these locations. So I, what came back to me was like hundreds of short stories, which were translated by my wonderful producer, Ugna into English. And then I read the source short stories. And from that, I constructed a screenplay and um, film, an art film out of it. And I think kind of built it on um, the kind of structure of Italiano Calvino's um, City of Ideas. City of Ideas, I think yeah, it is the name of the book, uh, where it's like a story within a story within a story within a story. Um, and it tells the journey of um, Marco Polo to Cuc uh, through to, to the east to Cucan. And so I looked at this idea of creating a, a narrative um, from a non-verbal film, though it still has sound, uh, working with volunteers and citizens to create these like very beautiful visual fictions that are built out of the stories of their city. So then again, other open calls came for prop designers and uh, volunteers to be actors. And then I heard uh, kind of CONUS is really famous for its contemporary dance. So myself and the CONUS 2022 team approached two very famous dance theater groups, uh, one being Aura, about their dancers being my protagonists because they represent a modern Lithuania. They're a contemporary dance troupe with dancers from all over the world. And that is reflective of what that city was a hundred years ago. It was a very cosmopolitan and um, multicultural city. So um, I hope I'm not going completely off the boil here, uh, Joanne, but I'm going to give the context of why CONUS or what is remarkable about the city. So when the fall of the Russian empire happened in 1917, 1918, the um, Lithuania got its independence, um, but it did not get its capital city, which we know of today as Vilnius. And I think when everybody thinks about, about, about Lithuania, they think, they think immediately of Vilnius as the capital, but they didn't have that capital. That capital remained part of the Russian empire. So they had to, in the space of 20 years, build a city and build a city infrastructure in what was really a rural town of Konus. And so they employed the highest end, amazing architects, artisans, artists, craftspeople, um, intellectual thinkers to design this wonderful city. And they made this absolutely beautiful, exquisite, as I call it, like a jewelry box of architecture, these gorgeous, what we would call art deco buildings, but they call interwar modernism because of the time frame of how the city came about. So it's a wonderful in infrastructure and a beautifully preserved uh, city of just gorgeous architectural gems. But it all came to abruptly to an end in 1939 
when they were invaded by the Nazis. And unfortunately, the vast majority of the merchants and wealthy bankers, architects and artists, philosophers and thinkers who created this and constructed the city were Jewish and fell foul of, of course, the Holocaust. And the vast majority were killed or um, uh, they uh, ended up elsewhere in the world. And it was, it's a very dark part of Lithuanian heritage that this happened. And um, in that period then, there was four years of Nazi occupation, followed by immediately Soviet occupation as the Soviets pushed the Nazis back. And then it became part of what we know as the Soviet empire of, you know, our Cold War, War past. So it became occupied with the Soviets. And then unfortunately, any artists, historians, intellectuals, architects who remained in the city became targets by the Soviet occupation as troublemakers and they were sent to Siberia. And again, awful fates awaited these remarkable kind of people. So anybody that remained um, then faced this mass movement of peoples from all over the Soviet empire into, or the Soviet machine, into the city, into mass occup occupation of these buildings. And so the heritage was lost. Nobody knew really, they lost their um, heritage memory about who built these buildings, what happened to the people who lived here. It was lost. And since the Lithuania got independence in 1991 and then joined the European Union, there's been this quite interesting try to reclamation of um, this uh, whole uh, city and identity in a post-colonial context of the city and Lithuania itself. <clears throat> and so they are very interested in trying to save these buildings when most people are like, they're not necessary. Let's knock them down and build a lovely modern um, glass and steel building. Um, so there's a, a kind of a really interesting mass movement from, uh, from some extraordinary people to try and create a love affair with these gorgeous buildings. So that's where I come in. <laughs> so they invite me to try and help capture their citizens' imagination about what these buildings could be. So when I first went there for like uh, that workshop that I was saying, I said, what is the most popular program in Lithuania? And they said like that, you know, that, that, that crosses all of the class divides. And they said the great British Bake Off. And I said, that's the most hilarious thing I've ever heard. And I said, well, well, it's also a kind of a stroke of genius. We're going to get modernist cakes, like a cake off mm. made out of these buildings. We're going to work with people actually ended up in kind of early school leavers who went into, into um, I suppose, um, apprenticeships of cooking and bakery schools. We're going to get them to make some of these key props. So they identified six really important buildings that they loved themselves that were interwar. And then these became the chapters in this film that we're making. So there's the post office, there's an interwar modern, modern house, Cherlonis Museum, fire station, Sugihara House and Ilana House. And these are all really beautiful interwar buildings. And, <clears throat> and that's the context of how the frame of the film came about and then the stories inter, 
all within that. And then, of course, then I'm bringing my own experience of being a kind of a intersectional feminist to this project too. And I thought it was very important that we raise some contemporary concerns within this film. So I identified non-binary characters, women who were kind of gender bending icons and protagonists who'd been kind of lost through history for one reason or another, and other being the operative word, um, were excluded. And we, we focused in on those protagonists to be the, like the main uh, key players in the film. So that was kind of a really important thing. That's absolutely brilliant. Um, and it's <laughs> fantastic to get the context of it as well. And I wanted to ask you, I suppose, about your, your vision for the film and on a, on a purely visual level, um, based on some of this, the stills that I've seen, the production stills um, mm -hmm. so far, the film uh, definitely echoes your distinctive aesthetic, which combines uh, stop animation, collage, surrealism with uh, period costume and architectures of confinement, something you've ingeniously mm -hmm. described as domestic horror or suburban Gothic. Mm. So I was just wondering, what's your vision for the visual impact of Clusters? That's a really a great question to ask. I suppose for me, it was really trying to not really position any one time or all times together. Mm -hmm. So the costume choices, the looks of the film and some of the protagonists, they sometimes look like they could be historical. The film is entirely black and white. So it doesn't, it can't be any one time frame or it does it's kind of got this ambiguity about its time period mm -hmm. and it's also about like a folding of time which is where the name comes from clusters it's like how time behaves and how time repeats or loops like a a pleat of fabric um that was always what i was kind of thinking about with this on that uh, it, it's almost like you know and um, while i've been there they, there's <laughs> been a lot of agitation from the belarusian government with threats of invasion uh, to, into Lithuania. So it's almost like a repeat of history in the kind of geopolitical context of, and, and for Lithuanians, that's an, an incre incredible trauma that seems to have repetition. So there's, I'm very mindful of repetition in the film, of repetition of themes so that's how I kind of constructed it was around things that looked of a time period, but then are not because you see like tattooed people and you see people with piercings and you see, I don't think you see anything kind of contemporary moving, but it's very hard to date what time period this film is mm -hmm. because I'm also trying to merge a whole series of key chapters in history together, like the Soviet era, <clears throat> as well as that interwar uh, 20-year period um, and then I, I, it is quite gothic and I skirt on quite dark themes within everything I do anyway so there is moments of threat or abject horror in the Kristeva vein of things mm -hmm. but it's also peppered a lot with humor and slapstick which is also something that those of you who'd be familiar with my work would would know that that's a kind of really important antithesis to uh, some of these really dark themes because it kind of shifts it and makes people laugh out loud because that you know so that's that's really a, an important kind of I think um, 
Alfred Hitchcock called it a MacGuffin. It's like a plot device that I, I, it's always present in a lot of my work. So and I've definitely used that to effect in this. Um, um, what else is going to say? But I'm collaborating with three really amazing contemporary composers, one who's only 18 years old on the sound score. So the sound score is going to be extremely contemporary. So while the image, you really can't place the time frame of the image, uh, the sound score makes this, has this weird kind of dislocation kind of feeling to it, but it also adds this emotional weight or gravitas to the film, which I'm really excited about. It's very hard to tell you this in words without kind of actually playing you some stuff, but I can't do that now. So my apologies if I'm sounding all over the place. No, that's that's uh, absolutely brilliant, and we can't we can't wait. I know it's early days, and nothing's been released as such yet. But I think it's going to be officially launched in uh, January. Is that right? It, we're uh, it's not actually. We're going to have a premiere in the summer, and I'm not allowed to tell the date. Okay. The trailer will be coming out <laughs> at the end of the year. Yeah, I'll be I'll be shot by the production team if I say <laughs> anymore. Uh, but the trailer's coming out at the end of the year around the launch of the European Capital Culture, and then we have an official premiere in in the summertime. And I'm not allowed to say anymore. I was Great. going to give you one other really interesting kind of personal fact about this. In the '80s, growing up in in Ireland, you know, we only and you know this as well, John. If I'm being so bold. Uh, to say it, but the RT, RTE was broke and it brought in all these Eastern European experimental films to show on children's TV. So there was like, um, there was Jan Sveinkmeier, Yuri Lecky, Esther Krumbokova, uh, Vera Chiklova. These were these like Czech, Lithuanian, Russian filmmakers who were, were experiencing persecution under the Soviet kind of um, <clears throat> mindset. They were censored and more often than not. And, they made these mad experimental films, which somebody in RTE thought that they were children's television viewing worth. <laughs> and you couldn't put them on now, but I saw them as a child and they left an indelible impression on me on the power of surrealism and the power of stop motion animation on the slapstick, which has stood to me through my entire career as an artist mm-hmm. is having that amazing access to that through a popular cultural method, mechanism like television actually. Um, and now it's an enormous privilege for me to be now in what I what we would have called Eastern Europe. It's no longer considered that. Like Lithuania is the Baltic block. I don't know what Czech, <laughs> Czechoslovakia is anymore. Maybe that's still Eastern Europe. But, um, but here I am used, now returning after having that experience and working in these contexts, which is in, a, in the style that influenced me. It's just another lovely fold of history or another add to the whole concept for me it's really quite special and an enormous privilege so yeah, yeah definitely and and you mentioned um the trailer being launched at, at the end of the year yeah amazingly you're also going to be showing a whole new body of work <laughs> at limerick city gallery of art this coming yeah. december so i was wondering um what can you tell us about this forthcoming solo show okay so uh this solo shows called by slight ligaments which is taken from the title or from a line from Shelley's Frankenstein or a modern Prometheus by slight ligaments we are born to prosperity or ruin is the actual title but it's curated by the fabulous Sarah Searson mm. and it features uh 
a curatorial essay collaboration between myself and the wonderful writer Sinead Gleeson. And it's all about, it's quite apocalyptic themes, themes coming through the work. Um, and again, it's kind of in the same guise of um, Plastus, is that it's all about like losing something or things being lost or othered or disappearing. And one of the things that features is my collaboration and commissioned by uh, the ITMA, the Irish Traditional Music Archive and Music Network. And it's a collaboration uh, with Reet, who's an Inuit uh, throat singer, Ashling Lyons, a harpist, um, and my fellow composers, Cahill Murphy and Steve Shannon. And a, a look designed by the amazing uh, hat maker and conceptual artist, Margaret O'Connor. And it's a, an apocalyptic themed pop song that I've written that's uh, based on a bunting score and Edward Bunting I'm so sorry if I'm going off on a mad tangent but I'm just trying to give the context of, of a heritage of this Edward Bunting saved the Irish harp from oblivion in the uh, 18th century he wrote down the last lilts and airs of Irish harpists in what he called what is called the Bunting archive and there was only 66 that he wrote down and it was at a time when there were royal edicts that harping was banned. And one of the edicts came from Queen Elizabeth I, who declares that all harpists should be strung up by the wire, the wires that they play from trees. And she fucking hated harpists. And um, it was kind of, so he wrote down the last airs of these harpists. And up until the um, same medieval periods, harpists were regarded as these like soothsayers, they were like, you know, they could kind of almost like see the future. They would play with the bardic poets. They were these incredible like totems of knowledge. And most of the time they would grow their nails extremely long so that they could play these harp strings. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I'm, I've taken one of the tracks um, called The Lamentations of Owen Roll O'Neill, which was written and played by Turlick O'Carlin, who was the blind harpist. Yes. Um, you know him probably because it, was, it wasn't that far from Beecham Way. Yeah. And I've re written a recontextualized a song that I have him, that that track uh, is the influence or the baseline. And then I have uh, Reet doing, in the Bardic tradition, speaking some lyrics I've written about being the last generation of artists. Because I feel at the moment we could be the last generation of artists. And I feel that in a very real and true sense, a kind of sense of desperation. I really hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm wrong. But I really feel that we could be the last and that enormous apocalypses are coming. Environmentally, we've just lived through COVID and I believe the World Health Organization says that that isn't even the big one in terms of pandemics. And I think that we're facing untold disasters. So what do you do if you're the last living artists? How do you process, you know, being the last in even Shelley's like the last man or that sort of sense of things as a kind of a desperate call to it. So I've made a kind of apocalyptic pop song <laughs> together. <laughs> and I also have a series of works that are informed by my feeling of being the last. So that's the theme of the show. And so the show opens in Limerick City Gallery. We have a live performance in the Irish World Academy of Music where Rita Clare is coming, or Rita is coming over from 
uh, from Pangerton in the Arctic Circle to Life Reform with me and Ashling Lyons, the harpist, on the 21st of the 1221, so the solstice. And that's been live televised. I'm also then touring that show to Source Arts Centre and then CCI in Paris, then the Belfast International Arts Festival, and then onwards to probably to North America in 2023. So it's a, a if we're all still alive then. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> wow, uh, you've a, you a packed schedule. And actually, um, my my kind of concluding question was yeah. was to focus on your your future plans. But um, I mean, I know you were elected as a member of Astana in 2019 um, and also the Royal Hibernian Academy last year which is, of course, a vibrant acknowledgement of your vast contributions to contemporary art. So I suppose I want my concluding question was to really ask you about any other projects on the horizon. But maybe maybe um, maybe you're planning to take a break or holiday soon. (laughs) (laughs) No, I really wish. Maybe I see how I get on until this time next year, because I've got quite a few gigs on the go. I have... um, Mm. I'm also going to be collaborating with Ray D. Pete from, from Lancome on a project yeah. next year. And uh, yeah, then there's uh, pr- probably, I'm actually meeting some curators here in Prague about a project here, as well as a couple of things with um, Peggy Sue Amason, who is, uh, she's in East Wing, Doha and Qatar. We're doing a project elsewhere, uh, which I can't really say too much, but there's a couple of things in the ether. So, I'd love to say a holiday. I have to be good and cram one in some way, but yeah, I kind of feel I, I like maybe I'm at this point in my career, like my children are, are not breastfeeding all the time. So that's, mm-hmm. I suddenly have this amazing energy that I haven't had in a good 10 years. So, <laughs> and they're kind of independent of me to a certain extent. So while I feel I have this energy and I've been blessed with these amazing privileges like Ace Donna and like, the RHA I feel I've got got to go and represent so I'm taking every feckin opportunity that's been given to me at the moment and I'm going to try and take them everywhere all over the place and make things happen you have been listening to the van podcast a podcast series by visual artist Ireland these podcast interviews are being published every two months on SoundCloud